today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. What happens to your faith when you're pressed down on every side, when you're perplexed, when you're persecuted, or when you're struck down, when the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, when it just seems like nothing is going the way you hoped it would? What happens to your faith? I want you to consider, because again, that's when really and truly the depth of our commitment to Christ, our understanding of the greatness of the sovereignty of who God is, comes into play. Because you see, the greater my understanding of who God is, and the greater understanding that I have of His sovereign plan over all of His creation, the more likely I'm going to be able to stand some of these trials and some of these times in my life. You may be out there listening today and are really going through a hard time. You may even be thinking that you may not make it through this one. Pastor David wants to encourage us to seek the Lord diligently. If we are armed and filled with the Holy Spirit, then we remain flexible. That way, when Satan has us in his vice and is pressing in hard with trials, we'll just bend and not break. Let's not wait until the storm is here to be prepared. We should be getting ready long before the first cloud arrives. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Open Word. Where you're at today is better than you were at the beginning. Jesus says, I know your works. And then he goes on to describe, I believe, these certain elements of these of this work. This love and service, this faith and this patience. They're part of the works of the church of Thyatira. They ought to be part of the works of every church. And beloved, we are called as believers to do works. Amen? Okay, let's go do it. Amen? Let's close. Uh, no. We are called to do good works. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are his craftsmanship to do those good works. The reality of our conversion is proved by our works. I'm going to give that to you again because I don't want you to get it tangled around. The reality of our conversion is proved by our works. We're not saved by our works, but if we are truly saved, we will do good works. Again, that's what we are called to do. James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, if you're just come and you hear the word and you hear the word, Oh, bless the Lord, it's great. But you're not going out and really living the Christian life. James says you're deceiving yourself. He goes on in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What does it profit you, my brother? Someone says that he has faith, but he doesn't have works. Can that faith save him and... The answer to that really is no, because it hasn't changed the inner man. He declares it with his mouth. He may think it in his head, but it hasn't changed the inner man. The works are necessary. He tells us a little bit later, still in chapter 2, verse 17 through 20. He says, thus also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, oh, I have faith, and 
you have works. He says, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God? He says, oh, you do well. Because even the demons believe, but they at least tremble at the fact that there is a God. There's too many people living in the world today that says, oh, yes, I believe God. I love God. Yet they live their life as children of Satan himself. They live their life full of the things of the world. And yet they say, oh, I love the Lord. I believe God. James says, do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Before the Lord brings any kind of an accusation against this church, he brings this uh, this commendation to them. And so again, as, as, as we look at the church, before we get into the problems of the church and the sin that is within the church, you need to see that it was a church that, that again, appeared to be doing the right thing. And I believe he was, they were doing the right thing. Because again, the way that the, not only here at the beginning of this message, but even at the end of this message, they weren't perfect and we're going to see that, but they had some good things that were going for them. They had love and service that was going for them. Again, they, their love and service was for one another as, as a part of the household of faith, as part of the fellowship of believers, as part of the family of God. They loved and served each other. This heart of agape, that agape type of love, and that's the word that he uses here. There was a self-sacrificing love that they had for each other. Diakonos, that, that, that giving, that serving, that servant kind of care for one another. Love and service, the heart of agape, the life of a servant, apparently was very evident within this church. Again, these two attributes, they speak of their relationship with each other, that, that love and service. That's, that's, again, how we meet within this household of faith, how we meet within this body of believers. But Jesus also commends them for their faith and for their patience. Even in the middle of all of the persecution, in the middle of all of the trials that were coming their way, they were able to stand firm, they were able to stand fast in their faith. They were able to patiently endure the hardships, again, because of their commitment to Christ, as well as just the normal hardships of life. Hey, I could go around the room and probably get a raise of hands and say, how many of you go through, have gone through some hardships in your life this week that actually has nothing to do with your faith it's just life itself coming at you like a freight train sometimes. And I guarantee you I could probably get a good show of hands. Because sometimes life comes at it this way. But you know, even if it's not persecution, how you stand in your faith and in your patience, even when life comes at you like a freight train, demonstrates a whole lot about what's in you and how you respond to that. Even in the midst of all of this. And so the one who has eyes like flames of fire. He's able to pierce through all the facades of their humanity, all the facades of who they pretended to be. And he saw in this body of believers a true faith. He saw in this body of believers a a patience in their walk in him. Not only that, but Jesus was witness to the fact that they'd grown in these areas They'd grown in their love and in their service and in their faith and in their patience. He says, the last are more than the first. Again, they weren't perfect, but they were growing in some areas. So before we go on to look at the correction and the judgment 
that the Lord's going to bring on at least a portion of the church of Thyatira, I want us to ask ourselves some pretty pointed questions. What would the Lord Jesus say about our fellowship? Here in Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. As a whole, are there good works within our lives? As a whole, are there good works in our lives that are evident to the outside world? I mean, really and truly, as, as, as an entire fellowship, does the outside world see what's going on in a positive way within this fellowship? Are we, and here's another one. This is kind of a straightforward and right to the heart one. Are we a family who truly love and serve each other? Not simply by word, but by deed. And we can kind of brush over this. Well, I do what I can when I can. But you need to understand that in this whole aspect of you and I as a believer, this has to be active. It has to be purposeful. It has to be continual. And it has to be from the heart. How can I truly love and serve you if I'd only do it at my convenience? I can't. I can't love you and serve you only when I have time. Because by and large, you're going to have issues at a very inconvenient time. Amen? We do that with each other. Hey, I need a ride. Okay, uh, wow. Uh, I can give you a ride tomorrow. No, like the doctor's appointment is today. Uh, we, we need this. We need that. You know, uh, let's face it, folks. We as a group, we're needy people. Amen? There's a lots of needs in our lives. N- needs, needs of fellowship, needs of relationship, needs of encouragement, needs of challenge, needs of just coming alongside and, and being with one another to share lives together. I'm willing to share my life as long as you don't get in my way. I'm willing to share my life with you as long as you don't inconvenience me. Oh, I'm willing to share my life with you as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Now, do you think that's really the heart and mind of Christ in that? You see, the heart and mind of Christ goes completely opposite of that. When he says you've got to be willing to give it all, to give it all to die to self in order that Christ might work through you. That's a hard thing. It's a hard thing in this in this society where everything is pressed. I mean, probably every one of us, uh, I look around the room, maybe maybe 90% of us, you know, we've got either a watch on or we've got a cell phone that's got times on it and we go home and times. And I've shared with you guys about all the clocks that I have at home and my whole infatuation with what time it is. Okay, so it's, it's one of the issues I'm dealing with, okay? But I don't think it's much different with a whole lot of other people. We're driven by that. But at the same time, the Lord says, you know what? We need to love and we need to serve each other. How do we do that in a practical, real way as a family? Does our love and service to one another shine through very clearly to the world? Some other questions. You didn't think you were going to be that pressured tonight, did you? What happens to our faith? Let me back this up. What happens to your faith 
when you're pressed down on every side, when you're perplexed, when you're persecuted, or when you're struck down, when the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, when it just seems like nothing is going the way you hoped it would. What happens to your faith? I want you to consider, because again, that's when really and truly the depth of our commitment to Christ, our understanding of the greatness of the sovereignty of who God is, comes into play. Because you see, the greater my understanding of who God is, and the greater understanding that I have of his sovereign plan over all of his creation, the more likely I'm going to be able to stand some of these trials and some of these times in my life, wow, this is not a good time. And then, you know, if I don't have a very good understanding, then I'm crying out, Lord, where are you? Where are you? If I have a good understanding, I say, Lord, I can't hear you right now. I think that's an honest prayer. I think that's an honest declaration. Lord, I, 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 I am blind in the midst of this. I am deaf in the midst of this. I need you to speak here because I feel I'm about to die. I think that's an honest thing. The unfortunate thing is somebody, some who even claim themselves as believers, situations come like that, and it's the, the response is more, where is God? God, God has left me. God has done this. God, no. God has a plan. He's working his plan. And even in your discomfort and my discomfort, our perplexity, our times of being struck down, our times of being, again, uh, pressed down on every side and perplexed, he's still working and moving. In those times, does your faith and your patience shine through? I'd like to give you the testimony tonight that 100% of the time it does in my life. But I'd be lying to you, so I won't give you that testimony. But I strive. I strive for that. I want the Lord, even in the midst of trial, that I would be, that I just stop and breathe and say, Lord, even in this, even in this, I know you are the great sovereign, God of all gods, Lord of all lords, creator of my life. You know my breath. You know every hair on my head. You know the number of my days. You know my situation. Help me to just trust you in this. And you know the interesting thing in that is the greatness of the glory that God has in those kinds of times in our lives. Because, beloved, it may be a day, it may be a week, it may be months, it may be years. But the word promises us that the flames will not destroy you, the floods will not overwhelm you. Keep your eyes on him, eyes fixed on Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith again. And run with patience that race that's set before you, laying aside every weight and every guilt of the shame and the sin, okay, so that we can run with patience. That's, that's where we see the victory. Jesus continues on with his message to this church. You've done good. You're growing in, in your love and your service, you're growing in your faith and your patience a lot better now than it was even when it began. Nevertheless, in verse 20, he says, nevertheless, don't you hate the neverthelesses? I hate the neverthelesses, but I love the but gods more than I hate the neverthelesses, okay? Because a lot of times within the scriptures, and you've seen them, you know, this negative thing, this negative thing, this negative thing, but God comes in, and that's always a positive thing. But here we have a nevertheless, okay. Verse 20, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Now, the great thing is, he says, I've got a few things, okay? 
Uh, so that's a positive thing. He says, I've got a few things against you because you've allowed that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. So within the church, there was a problem. But the fact is, it's a few things. It's not the overwhelming uh, reality of the church. Jesus wasn't against this church. He was against some of the stuff that was going on in that church. Some of the ones within the church had compromised in their lives, and they had started believing a lie and, and, and started following this other. It would appear somehow, and again, I was talking with somebody today even about this, about, again, uh, the, the fact that, you know, how could someone rise up in, within a church and lead people astray? Well, somehow, some way, the leadership within this church allowed this false teacher, uh, symbolically called here Jezebel, allowed her to rise up within the church to, um, she proclaims herself as a prophet, but she was allowed to teach and, uh, again, bring that fellowship again in, in, into that sexual immorality and to fall into pagan practices. So who or what is this Jezebel? I don't doubt that it may have been a woman, but there are some that have taken that so far to the point that they, they condemn any woman teaching within a church. And I don't, I, I think that's way off balance. Okay. I don't think that's where they're at here. You understand, you, you remember from the Old Testament that, that Jezebel was a pagan daughter of a priest of Baal. Okay, and in First Kings chapter sixteen and following on, we read about Jezebel, and again, the um, she married uh, Ahab, uh, King Ahab of Israel, and the whole deal with Ezekiel and all of those things. But the biggest thing you need to understand about Jezebel is Jezebel, because she was a pagan woman. When she married the king of Israel, she brought then into Israel all of this Canaanite pagan practices, all of the pagan worship. And according to Second Kings, it says that she was guilty of whoredoms, of witchcraft, of idolatry, and of murder. So <laughs> started to say, your wife's doing pretty good. So, you know, be, be of good cheer. According, according to uh, Spence's pulpit commentary, Jezebel may be a real person, or she may simply be a form of this false doctrine that's just personified. If the former, then Jezebel is doubtless not her real name, but again, just symbolic name of reproach, and what her name or status were, we have no means of knowing. Let's face it, you're going to call your kid Jezebel? Okay. We just don't see that in the book of names very much anymore. You know, she's got a, she's got a very negative rap because she was a very negative person. You're not going to name, please don't name your child Jezebel. Okay. This we do know. She was given recognition. She was given position within that church. And with these, she led a portion of the body of believers in Thyatira into sin. The interesting thing is in verse 21. Jesus here speaking, he says, I gave her time to repent. Now that just blows me away. Again, of the grace and the mercy of God. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, but she did not repent. 
Well, indeed, I'm going to cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Unless they repent of their deeds. Don't lose that in the midst of this condemnation and this judgment that the Lord is bringing on this church. I gave her time to repent. I'm going to bring judgment on her unless they repent. The opportunity for repentance. He says in verse 23, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the heart. That's those flames of fire that come out of his eyes, piercing to the very inner core of any being. He says, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Again, just the the long-suffering and the patience of the Lord. His patience leaves us without any kind of excuse, doesn't it? Because he continually works with us. And I tell people on a continual basis, as long as that individual that you're praying for has breath, they have an opportunity to repent. But I tell people that I'm talking to that are in sin, you don't know when your last breath is. So you better repent now. Okay? It's the long-suffering, the patience of God. His willingness really to let us go to the end of our rope and still use that rope to draw us back to himself. What a wonderful thing that is. However, if a heart is so hardened that it rejects this this continued kindness, this continued long-suffering and patience of the Lord, you know what? The Word declares over and over and over again, Old Testament and New Testament, that there will be judgment. It's by ignorance that people say the God of the Old Testament is judgment. The God of the New Testament is grace. No, God is God. Okay, He is a God of holiness and righteousness, and he will bring judgment. But first he puts forth love and patience and long-suffering, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. So again... The time would come. And Jezebel is about to experience that firsthand. As some have stated, the bed of sin is now going to become the bed of suffering. And just as there were those that, that joined her in her sin, so there are going to be those that are going to join her in her punishment, unless they repent. And at this point in time, the message comes with time to repent. You still got time to repent. I'm sending you this message. I, Jesus, the Son of God, with eyes of flames of fire and feet like polished brass, I'm telling you these things. I, this is going to come. There's going to be judgment unless you repent. You know what that tells me? There's still time to repent. There's still time to turn back and to seek the Lord. How true it is that the, that the psalmist declares in Psalm 86, verse 15, But you, O Lord... You are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and in truth. Well, beloved, that only comes true, fulfills in our life, if they're willing to repent. God's not going to save any man or woman against their will. Did you catch that? He is not going to save anyone against their will. Now, you can be Calvinist, you can be Arminius, you can be whatever you want. But God's not going to save anyone against their will. His patience and his long-suffering will not always continue. But he will bring judgment.
Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we know you'll want to come back for more. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen back through other teachings, you can find them all at theopenword.com under the Teachings tab. We hope today's message has touched your heart, settled some questions you've had, and maybe even caused you to ask a dozen more. If you do have questions, we'd love to do all we can to answer them. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd love to pray for you, too, and learn more about your journey of faith. Once again, that number is 520-836-9676. We believe that God has given us the church so that we can learn more about Him and about living together in community. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Thanks for listening to The Open Word. If you're in the Casa Grande area and looking for a church home, I'd love to meet you and shake your hand. Welcome you to our community of believers here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet weekly on Saturdays, Sundays, and Wednesdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. You'll be able to find out more about us and get directions by visiting theopenword.com. And under the links at the bottom of the page, click on Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. But join us to learn more from the pages of Revelation right here on The Open Word.